0: Again, the doors close at four o'clock Pacific today. You can sign up at kathyhaar.com slash join. I cannot wait to spend 12 weeks with you and watch you become a master at manifesting the most gorgeous experiences and opportunities and abundance into your life.
1: You have to literally just cut it out. Just stop it and make a decision and pick a life and point yourself in that direction.
0: If you're a person who's looking to have more purpose in your life, if you're saying to yourself, I don't want to just go to work. I want to do my life's work. This is the show. This is the show. Don't keep your day job. How do you figure out how to take your passion and turn it into a profit? Thanks to LaTote for supporting Duel Keeper Day Job. Go to LaTote.com and enter promo code DREAMJOB at checkout to get 50% off your first month. From there, you'll get your completely customized tote within days. Wear it all, and when you're done, you can return the rest in the mail. they will start preparing your next tote immediately. That's LaTote.com and promo code DREAMJOB. Thanks to All Birds for supporting Donkey Your Day Job. All Birds makes comfy shoes made from sheep and sold direct online. Go to AllBirds.com and find your pair of soft, cozy shoes like the Wool Runner, only from All Birds. Thanks to House Call Pro for supporting Donkey Your Day Job. If you're ready to get your service-based business organized and streamline with your customers, go to HouseCallPro.com/dreamjob. Tell them Donkey Your Day Job sent you, and they'll waive your $99 activation fee. That's HouseCallPro.com/dreamjob. This podcast is brought to you by Third Love. Go to thirdlove.com slash dreamjob now to find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash dreamjob. Hey guys, it's Kathy Heller. Welcome back to another episode of Don't Keep Your Day Job. I'm really, really excited because Jenna Fisher is here today. Jenna played Pam on The Office, and she's also starring in a new sitcom on ABC called Splitting Up Together, and she's here today, and she'll be talking to us about her journey and helping us understand... What did she do to become as awesome and successful as she is? And I can't wait to bring her on. Before we do that, I just want to give a shout out to somebody who introduced me to the office. Um, she showed me that show. She loves that show. My sister, Barbara Heller, who is so special. And it makes me cry to think about it because she's my older sister. And you know when you're a kid and you're growing up, you're know, like, my, you know, you have an older sibling and you kind of want to be just like them. My sister is super special. And my sister did a show last week and I went to see her at Vitello's in Studio City and she was so sparkly and so unabashedly herself. She's so great. She's just so humble and sweet and she does impressions. And I will post on my Instagram a, um, a parody of her like imitating Rihanna, Josh Groban, Celine Dion, Adele, and she wrote this hilarious song, and it's so good. I will post it on my Instagram so you guys can see it, so come and look for it. But um, what I was so inspired by, at the end of her show, she sang this song, This Is Me, which is from The Greatest Showman. I haven't seen that movie yet, but I heard it's really good. So for those of you who haven't seen The Greatest Showman, so the lyrics are... When the sharpest words want to cut me down, I'm going to send a flood. I'm going to drown them out. I am brave. I am bruised. I am who I'm meant to be. This is me. Look out because here I come and I'm marching on to the beat. I drum. I'm not scared to be seen. I make no apologies. This is me. And. I was just crying so hard and I was like so proud of my sister because I think one of the reasons people love watching her on stage is because she's so unbridledly herself like she is hilarious like she's like a Carol Burnett and then she also like sings songs from Wicked and she talks about her life story and she lets you in. And I said to her afterwards, I was like, in a way, I wish you were like exactly like that all the time and you weren't buttoned up at all because it's so endearing and it's so incredibly inspiring when you watch somebody say, this is me, scars and all, bruises and all. No, I'm not perfect. No, I didn't have the perfect childhood. No, I don't have it all dialed in. No, I'm scared even right now in this moment. No, I don't always feel super confident. And guess what? this is me. And I realize that that's the reason I started this podcast. The reason I started this podcast is because I walk through the world and I see so many stunning, beautiful, magnificent human beings and they don't see it. They spend their lives apologizing and not feeling like they're enough and they keep themselves on the bench We are those gatekeepers. It's nobody else doing it. It's ourselves. Maybe, yes, maybe as a child, something got in that was like not true. You know, maybe there was somebody in our life who tried to poison the well and give us this like message that we weren't enough. And guess what? That's a big lie. But at this point, The only person who's responsible, who's continuing to tell us that, is ourselves. And I meet so many people. And okay, you're bruised and you're broken. And so am I. That's okay. That's amazing. That's great. That actually makes you even more inspiring. So what? Put it out there. Whatever your thing is, I started this show because I want to be here to remind you, to convince you, to inspire you, to help you see inside the mirror, to help you see yourself. I see you. There's so much in there and you're brilliant and you're magical and it's okay that you're really special in this one area and this other part of you is a total mess or likes to self sabotage or whatever. We're all like that. Do you think that like, I always feel like totally confident? Of course not. Right before I was about to interview Jenna, I'm like making myself coffee, like spilled the coffee everywhere. I'm like, I don't usually spill coffee. You know, I was like, I'm feeling nervous because I admire her because I'm just a person. And guess what? We're all the same. You know what the great unifier is? We all just want to be seen. We all just want to feel like something that we do matters. We just want to feel understood and heard. That's all. The more you take strides and you put up your Etsy shop or you start your blog or you start your yoga studio, whatever it is that you want to do, even when you're not feeling 100% perfect and you do it anyway, it's amazing. And not only is it amazing, but it gives other people permission to say, "Wow. Okay, you know what? Maybe I could also take a step." I think that successful people, I don't think that oh, they're the ones who were not scared. I don't think oh, they're the ones who are totally ready. I think oh, they're the ones who have courage. They just had courage to say, this is me. This is it. And were they scared? Yeah. Did they show up? They did. And you know what? The more you do that, you gain more confidence. And then what you find out is pretty cool. You find out that on the other side of making that leap, so many people come around to rally and support and cheer for you. Because truly what the world is so searching for is authenticity. And so I think actually that one of the reasons that this show, The Office, was such a huge success is because it celebrates people who are real. It celebrates human beings having human lives, and they're not all dolled up. I mean, yes, it's written so well. And yes, the acting is phenomenal. But on some very intrinsic level, I think everybody's feeling like, I know Pam. I, I know these people in this show. That she lives down the street. And and that's my uncle. And that's my father. And that's my brother. And that's me. So guess what? We're all a little quirky. We're all a little messy. And it's all really great. And it's okay. So stop thinking that you have to only post the most perfect parts of your day on Instagram or you can only share when you're having a moment where everything's all figured out. You're enough. You're magical. And I've been celebrating you guys on the episodes and telling you about listeners so i want to tell you about somebody who reached out to me by the way if you want to reach out to me on instagram you can i'm at kathy.heller C-A-T-H-Y dot H E L L E R. katie she sends me a dm she says hi kathy thank you from the bottom of my heart for the podcast and inspiration and in all that you do i started listening to the podcast last year while sitting in my cubicle so unhappy wishing every day i was out there following my dreams I was building a business somewhat on the side, but didn't have the confidence or support I needed to chase it wholeheartedly. Even just hearing the title of your podcast made me feel liberated that I didn't have to keep living there sitting in that cubicle. And in November, I left that day job to pursue my passion and my dreams. I have one month left of yoga teacher training and I've been running my hand lettering business full time. I'm still scared. I'm still unsure and I'm still finding my flow, but thanks to you and this podcast, I keep collecting nuggets of wisdom that help me grow and learn, and I'm so grateful. I'm so proud of you, and I checked out your stuff, and I think it's gorgeous. You guys, if you want to give her some love, you can find her at Sweet Loud Designs on Instagram or SweetLoudDesigns.com just give her a shout out and let her know that you're thinking of her and that you're proud of her for taking that leap and putting her stuff out there. And this is what I mean. I then see the stuff that she's creating and I'm like, how could this not be out there? It's gorgeous. Like, it's like, you know, we're the ones who, you know, we second guess ourselves to death. There's so much good that never sees the light of day because people overthink it and they don't think they're good enough. And it's like, oh my goodness. Now, There are things that will make it less overwhelming to put your stuff out there because there are ways of figuring out what does it take to start a successful business. And so I am actually creating a course, which will be, live in April. And if you guys want to be notified when the course comes out, um, it'll be this really cool sort of like live interactive online experience where you will get me coaching you through how to take your hobby and figure out how to turn that into a business. There are a few fundamental things that I've learned through trial and error and through, you know, launching successful businesses and, and seeing, um, really what made it work. And so there's four pieces to it. And I'm going to teach you guys what those pieces are in the class. And it's going to help you get into Alignment with who you really are, what you're really good at, and then how to really lift somebody else up. Because at the end of the day, if it's going to turn from a hobby into a business, it's going to have to be about something that someone else needs that lifts somebody else up. So, we're going to help you get clear about who you're making whatever you're making for and how to really understand how to be authentically you and also help other people lift them up, solve problems, and how to do outreach and how to create content so that whatever you build, people do find out that it's there. So I'm excited about that. If you want to be notified when the course comes out, you can go to don'tkeepyourdayjob.com and sign up to be notified. It's coming out soon. It's going to be super fun. We're also excited to hear from Jenna. Before we do that, I just want to take a quick second and thank one of our sponsors. This podcast is brought to you by Latote. Latote is a rental clothing subscription service with great value and is super easy to use. Rent up to $300 worth of clothing from designer brands like BCBG, Max Azria, Nike, and Rebecca Minkoff for as low as $59 a month. You can get a box of fashion delivered right to your door and always have something new to wear. I love this because I just get to play. I can like go online and let them know what I like. And then it comes to my door and I get to just see like, do I like this? I can wear it for a month and super fun. And it's like, takes all the hassle away because I don't have to commit to buying it or keeping it and it also saves you money because you get to try stuff that wouldn't necessarily be you know given to you at this cost so try it out go to latote.com that's l-e-t-o-t-e dot com to get started and enter promo code DREAMJOB at checkout to get 50% off your first month from there you'll get your completely customized tote within days wear it all and when you're done return the rest in the mail they'll start preparing your next tote immediately again that's latote.com and enter your code dream job and always have something new to wear. Without further ado, we're going to bring on the amazing, the lovely Jenna Fisher. Jenna was of course Pam on the office and she's starting in a new show starting very soon on ABC called Splitting Up Together. She is a delight. She's also super generous. She wrote a book called The Actor's Life a Survival Guide and her advice is not just for actors. What she has to say relates to everybody, no matter what it is that you're working on, because there's some critical things in there and insights that we all really could benefit from. She's so generous. I stopped and thought to myself, Jenna Fisher, she doesn't need to write a book. Like It's not like she needed the money and it's not like she needed to find something to do, but she cares. She really cares. And she wanted to see other people doing their thing. And she wanted to throw people a lifeboat and see if she could help people get through that jungle and get through that adventure. So I'm so excited that she's here. Without further ado, the lovely Jenna Fisher. Jenna, thank you so much for taking the time to be here. Thanks
1: for having me.
0: You're one of those people that everybody who's ever seen anything you've done just instantly falls in love with you, like you're... You're really lovable and cool. That's
1: so sweet. What a nice thing to. Everyone wants to hear that, right? (laughs) (laughs) But you're just like the girl next door,
0: but like the one that everyone wants to be friends with because she's like cool, but she's really like approachable. So thank you for being that. So I want to get into so much of what it is that you've been so generous to share. You wrote a book for actors, but first, I want to talk a little bit about your story and the backstory that not everybody might know, like how you got to be this really successful person that you are.
1: Well, I guess I could start with saying I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri. Yeah. I was not a child actor and I don't have any entertainment business connections in any way through my family. Mm -hmm. So I was just a person growing up in St. Louis with these dreams of being an actor um, But they were more than dreams. They felt like my identity. Like, mm. I can't imagine having any other job. And as a kid, when you're young, you can say you want to be an actor and people indulge you. But as you get older, people start to say, no, but what are you really going to do? Right. Like, what are you right. going to major in? What, right. what are you doing to make money? Right. And I just kept having the same answer, which was, I'm an actor. I want to be an actor. I didn't want to go to college, I should say that. I wanted to graduate from high school and move to Los Angeles and just start auditioning for things. I didn't even know what it meant to become an actor, but I just didn't want to wait. But my parents forced me to go to college, right. which I'm so grateful for. It's just a whole world of ideas, and you get to start to shape your own identity. Mm-hmm. True. And where I think you don't shape your own identity is a, a 17-year-old in Hollywood. I think that's a horrible place to figure out who you are. So I'm very grateful that that wasn't my path. And also, in terms of being an actor, and I think in in really any career, training is essential. You can't just want it. You have to train for it. So I was able to go to school and train for four years um to be a professional actor. So cool. And something I didn't think I needed, you know, I thought you became an actor just on like your charisma and charm right. and natural talent. <laughs> right, but it's a business like anything else and having the business tools is really important. Yeah, so that makes sense. So all of those things I gained from college. That's a little bit about where I came from. But since this is a podcast about jobs, I should say I've had every job. I started working when I was 15. I worked at a kennel. My parents had to drive me there <laughs> Um and pick me up. <laughs> And then when I was old enough to drive, I worked in fast food. I worked at Long John Silver's. I oh, worked at an gosh. ice creamery, scooping ice cream.
0: It's crazy to look back and be
1: like, <laughs> those
0: people got their ice cream from Jenna Fisher. Who was
1: they sure did. So I know. <laughs> I made ice cream clowns. That's I made so you fun. put a scoop of ice cream. You put the cone on top. Oh the yeah. Cherry on top of the cone, whipped cream around it. It's a collar, sprinkles. Oh
0: my god, you're so cute. So
1: you come, <laughs> and- <laughs> when you come to LA. What the heck? Is it like,
0: you know, you just get a job or is it a little bit harder than that?
1: Well, that's what you should do. That's my advice to people is (laughs) if you come to LA, the first thing you should do is get a day job. But if you are arrogant and have a chip on your shoulder, like I was leaving theater school thinking that, you know, I would surely be a working actor in six months, I didn't get a job. I just sat around spending my savings. Oh, yeah. I mean, it wasn't just arrogance, but it was a little bit. It was like, I'm a trained actor. I'm ready to go. Someone's going to hire me any second, even though I knew no one, didn't have an agent, wasn't in the union, didn't even have good headshots. Right. I don't right. know how I thought I was getting these jobs, <laughs> but I didn't think that I should go get a day job right away until all my money ran out six months later. And then I Yikes. was in like a really bad position yeah. because now... I had to work a lot of day jobs in order to just pay my rent and my bills. I had no cushion anymore. So, eventually this would start to happen. I would maybe get a job an acting job. I mean, I'm talking like a $100 job to do like an industrial film. Right. An industrial film are like the training videos that you watch <laughs> right. at your job. Oh, okay. God. So, I'm not even talking like I'm going to be in a movie here. Right. Um But you need that job when you're a struggling actor. So you need to get tape of yourself doing professional work. And that was a big get. And so then I would have to do things like quit my day job in order to take the acting job, which was going to pay way less than my day job, and then live on credit cards for a couple weeks while I looked for a new day job. You know what I mean? So it was like, I would definitely not advise someone to Uh, pursue an acting career or really anything where you're just getting started with my plan of not (laughs) having savings. Don't do what I did. It's a disaster. Look where it got me, people. I know. Um, (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Well, it's all very romantic now when I look back on it from a position of having achieved my dreams. But at the time, it sucks. At the time, it was not great. (laughs) It was not great. It was depressing and sad. So how long until like
0: something a little bit meaty happens. Is it a year, two years, eight months? It was
1: um five years wow. later. I got three lines on a television show. Wow. So I got my first speaking role on a TV show five years after I moved to LA. Wow. And I know people who've still never gotten that.
0: Like that's still to a lot of people a big deal, but five years, yeah. it's a long time. It's a yeah. long time. And you didn't give up and you stayed in it. And then- how long after those three lines did the next like big thing happen?
1: Well, things started to get better after that because what you need is for someone to legitimize you. Mm-hmm. So you need someone to take a risk on you. right? And then once I had that very legitimate professional credit on my resume, right. then people would consider me for two to three line roles on television shows. Right. So then the auditions for that, Started to go up and I started booking a lot of those. Um, but then now you're in a new position, which is that's really exciting for about a year. And then you're like, well, how do I turn that into like bigger right. role? Like right, now I'm course. getting that and that's really fun. But now I'd like to be a guest star where I do like scenes and have a character. Right. Um. And so then I would say when I booked my first guest star, that was another big spring forward because then someone had taken a chance on giving me a bunch of scenes yeah. in a TV show. Yeah. And then from there, I was able to start getting auditions for lead roles. Mm. And I started getting very far in that process. I would go to what's called the testing process, which is where it's between like you and two other people mm-hmm. for the role, but I would never get it. So it was in year seven that I finally booked a lead role in a television show, um, in a pilot. It was called Rubbing Charlie and it was starring <laughs> me and Scott Wolf. I was a masseuse oh and God. his name was Charlie, <laughs> thus rubbing Charlie. <laughs> That's crazy. Um, it was very funny. Um, but it was strange. And then believe it or not, that show did not make it on the air. What? Which is why you've never heard of Rubbing Charlie, (laughs) this gem of a show I just described. (laughs) (laughs) So again, that was another spring forward. That was you know a couple years of you know getting to the last stage of the audition process, but then not getting the job, and then you finally get the job. And so then the following pilot season, when I was going out for all the jobs, that was year eight, and that was the year that I auditioned for The Office.
0: Mm, I've heard of that show. I think a few people have mentioned it.
1: And that definitely changed everything, but it doesn't change everything forever. Hmm. And that's the life of an artist. So everything changes everything for a minute, but then it doesn't change everything forever. I mean, I think that The Office is a work of art. Like I think it it really is truly one of the best TV shows ever made. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I can say that because I'm really just a small piece of it. Just incredible group of people, writers, directors, our crew. The, the way it was shot, the way it was edited, it was just like every department was really extraordinary. Well, it
0: is extraordinary. Like, and people don't like that show; they love that show. And it's to, to know it is to love it. It's it's an immediate, visceral reaction. It's painfully amazing.
1: It's very special, but, very very. But special. what a like. But why does it not change everything forever? Well, no, I was going to ask you about this thing that you created, this lolly love,
0: you know, piece. And I was yes. like, that's so ingenious that she would do that instead of like continuing to wait for the opportunities to roll in. Can you tell us a little bit about that? And do you think that that was connected to why maybe the office came to you? Or do you think they're not connected?
1: I think everything's connected. Okay, and And so... One of the themes of my book and the advice that I give a lot is that you have to create your own work. That you have to look for ways to express your creativity and your artistry on your own. You can't just sit around and wait for someone to hire you. That's great advice. And listen, not everybody is going to be Amy Schumer or Amy Poehler. Oh, no, really? You know, not everyone. Unfortunately, I mean, I'm not going to be. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's, (laughs) um, it's like not all of us are writers. And creators of of things. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't put together your clunky version of that anyway, because you'll learn something. Because every time you get a job, you learn something. So every time you get on a set, you learn something about the way one of the departments works or you learn something about what's needed from you in order to fill out a scene. So if you aren't getting on sets and you aren't practicing in that way, you have to bring that to yourself by producing your own web series or making your own thing Yep. because that thing may not take off and turn into a television show, but the lessons learned will get you on a television Mm. show, which is what I feel like happened to me. So I was really inspired by all the Christopher Guest movies and his mockumentary style Yep. And so I have this idea through doing this book called The Artist Way, which I also really recommend people pick up book, and do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's great. Every actor in LA does it. I'm very proud to say that I finished it, by <laughs> the way. I don't know if you know The Artist Way. I but do. Like, of course. Have you finished it? It's, Did you do it? It's
0: funny because I've done it with two groups of friends and one time I didn't finish it
1: and one time I forced myself to finish it. Congratulations. You finished The artist. Way. <laughs> like, I think they should send out medals because the first time I tried it, I didn't finish it. And then like a year later, I thought, I'm going to I'm doing I I'm going to this. do this. So I did it and by finishing it, I became a person who finishes things. And that was Ooh, a big breakthrough. That was a thing that changed everything. Was that I'm not just a person who talks about stuff, I'm a person who finishes stuff. Well, yes, you are. So what it was what was it about that
0: book that inspired you?
1: Well, I mean, my gosh, the morning pages morning every pages, morning yeah. waking up, get out and that stuff. Putting a, Pen on paper. So many of my morning pages are three pages of me writing. I don't want to be doing this. My hand hurts. Grocery lists. I really need new shoes. Like the thing about the morning pages that you don't judge them. You just write. But if you do it long enough and enough days in a row, all of a sudden things start pouring out. And so from my morning pages, I got this funny idea about a group of misguided charity workers. (laughs) and a mockumentary about them. And that kind of stuck with me. And then I kept journaling about it. And then I thought, well, I have a bunch of really funny friends. What if I told them the idea and we just came over and I set up a camera and we improvised? So that's what I did. And when I say I have really funny friends, I should say my funny friends were Linda Cardellini and Judy Greer. (laughs) like really funny friend like I was very fortunate I had like and really Jason super, Siegel was in it and too, Jason right? Siegel yeah yes. not bad yeah so like that was good but by the way you know that's another one of the things is that like they weren't totally household names yet either do you know what I mean yeah. like your band of friends that you're feeling like oh I wish I was making this with such and such no you guys are such and yeah, such turns out you yeah. already are it. Yep. You just make your thing and then we'll all see. So anyway, these were my very funny friends. But you guys made this into
0: something like really phenomenal. Like you put this in Thank film festival. So how did We did. How did you have the resources to get like cameras and and good sound and actually make
1: <laughs> it look good? Like I'm trying to remember how much the whole thing ended up costing, but um so my friend Pete Alton that I was in a theater company with he was an editor. Like mm-hmm. that's how he earned his living, mm-hmm. but he wanted to be a cinematographer. So he agreed to shoot it. I don't know where he got the camera. Like he borrowed it. We rented a lighting package yep. from some lighting store in Hollywood. Three lamps, you know? Right. I don't really know where we got the microphones from. The sound was, is horrible. Like we didn't understand right. okay. sound recording. <laughs> But it started by just getting together on the weekends and hanging out. And I would record us doing these funny bits. And then I used the recordings to write an actual script. So we just had all these different people create their own characters. It was really cool. And then we started shooting it more formally. You know, we created a shooting schedule because you had to rent the stuff, you know. Right, right. And we rented stuff, I think, two different weekends. And we shot it and then gave these... Just this mishmash of lots of improvisation, lots of storylines that would start and never pay off because we improvise in one scene. You know, just like (laughs) really just tragic tape. We gave it to Pete Alton. And what we were trying to do was rather than make a mockumentary, make what people might believe was a real documentary. And this was the part that helped me get the office, I think, because we were doing things like, quote unquote, stealing footage or hiding the camera behind, you know, through some blinds. Oh my God. Um, That's hilarious. And I'm thinking I invented this idea that we are a genius. Right. And while we're editing this, the British office comes out and, you're like, and I'm like, oh, God damn it. And this is like, <laughs> this is what I'm saying. I'm saying like there was a serendipity there. And that's where I'm like, I'm not Ricky Gervais. I'm not Amy Poehler. Like I had the ideas. I had it all, but I'm not, I'm not a writer. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, but I knew it was cool. God, but um, it's amazing but that he you knew did. knew it was oh cool my and he thought it. And then look what he made with the idea, yeah, you know, he bad. made the British office, yep. right? And I, and then I was mad because I thought, damn it, I had that make you think it's a real documentary idea. Right, right. <laughs> um, And look what he, he made something brilliant. So... Um, but we kept editing it and it was really made in the editing room. Pete Alton did such a great job.
0: What were you intending to do with it the whole time? Were you thinking like, I want to sell
1: this and put it out as a movie and get distribution? Were you thinking I just no. want to have it? It was just literally something to do. I was not getting the work I wanted. I had never had a lead role in anything. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be have more camera time. Right. I wanted like a purpose. I wanted to have a purpose when I woke up every day, a creative purpose. And I wasn't thinking further than that. Mm -hmm. And then to have it finished, I think the idea was, we'll send it out to some film festivals and maybe something will happen. And at the same time that that was happening, the call for the audition for the American version of The Office came out. And I thought, I can't believe that I've been practicing mock documentary style for the last year. That's crazy. I know exactly how to do this. I know exactly how to do this style. Do
0: you feel like they saw it or do you feel like they
1: called you in? No, they could have never seen it yeah. because we it hadn't been in festivals yet. That's like, they crazy. Would have never seen it. That's insane. Yeah. There there was in no way did that making that film directly get me anything. I wow. It wasn't on my reel. Like, do you know what I mean? It was really the experience gained from the doing of it gave me a confidence, but it also just gave me a perspective on the genre. And that's why I tell people you have wow. to make stuff. That's you amazing. have to make stuff. And also, by the way, I also tell people the first thing you make or the first thing you write is going to be a load of crap and you have to make <laughs> yes. it anyway. Yeah. It really is because every time you finish something, you can look back and critique it and criticize it. Of course, and, and then those lessons learned get applied to the next thing. What you have to get out of is um, the inability to finish things because they need to be perfect. Mm. Done is better than perfect. Someone said that. This is your Um, TED Talk. This is my TED Talk. Done is better than perfect, but I'm stealing that from someone. I put the quote in my book, so let that person have the credit. Google it. Someone Someone else said it. (laughs) Someone else said it. I didn't say it, but it's a great So when you walked into that audition, were you feeling
0: like, I better get this? Like, I am this role. like, Or were you feeling like,
1: okay, I guess it's, you know, we'll see. I mean, what was that moment like? Well, it was tough because I didn't know how they were going to make the show. I was worried, like everybody else, that we were going to ruin the British show. And not we, but just like we being America, you know, just American television (laughs) was gonna ruin the show. Right, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Um, that whoever was producing this or whatever network was doing it was gonna make it silly or make it campy or something really broad, and they weren't going to understand what made the British show so wonderful. But then things, you know, started happening. Like I heard that Greg Daniels said no names. Mm. No name actors. I need people I don't recognize because I want people to believe that these are real people in an office. That's amazing. And I was amazing. Like, okay, I respect that. Yeah. And then my instructions from the casting director were don't come in all glammed up. Don't come in all pretty and like the way they normally would want you to come in right, for a role, right. which is you're a third grade teacher, but also maybe a prostitute, <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> because your boobs are hanging out of your top uh, and so you have ridiculous. way too much makeup right, on, Right, right. So she was like, no, real person, look like a real person. And then she also said, and don't come in and do a bunch of shtick. Dare to bore me with your audition. That was the line she drew. Wow. God, that's and so amazing. so I thought, I will take your challenge. And so I wore an outfit that I wore to my day jobs, which was some ill-fitting pants, very sensible shoes something i would never wear to an audition a button down shirt and i let my hair dry naturally into a kind of oh kinky frizz God. and i put it back in a clip and i did not wear any makeup because that's what i looked like when i answered phones for the many many years oh that God. i answered phones personally because nobody gets dressed up to answer the phone. Oh my god, in an just the
0: exercise of going through this audition is like it's so counterintuitive to everything. Everyone's always trying to earn everything and prove themselves and you had to let you were literally
1: given the assignment of like just show up. Just yeah, just, just show be up. there. You oh have my to god. be enough. You have to just show up. And so when I got those instructions and I knew that that was kind of their intention, I thought I'm going to do it. And so when I walked in, I thought if they really mean it, then I'm the person for this role. Oh my God. But if they don't mean what they're saying, then I'm not the person for this role because this is how I'm going to do it. Yeah. Um So it wasn't like I walked in thinking like I'm going to get it. It was a little bit like if they're making the show that I want them to make, yeah, I'm which is what they're that. saying they're going to make, yeah. <laughs> then I'm going to show up for it and then I think I'm right for the role. So
0: how did you do the audition if you were supposed to like literally dare to bore her?
1: Well, I, I tried to imagine this person in an office who... This wasn't her dream to answer phones. I've been there, you know. Um, When I would work in offices and answer phones, I wanted to speak to people as little as possible. (laughs) I didn't want to go to lunch. I didn't want people to come by and ask me how my weekend was. I just wanted to get through the day and go home. And then live the life that I wanted to live. Not, you know, I was not
0: fall in love with the cutest coworker you've ever had. No. And have a baby. <laughs> exactly. No,
1: I just wanted to do the job, get my paycheck, and head out. Right. So I kind of was like, I can relate to that aspect of this character. And so I imagined if I was at, I like imagine one of my jobs that I had answering phones. If my boss came up to me and said, "We're going to start doing a documentary of our office life," I would imagine I would be so annoyed, right? And I would want to be on camera as little as possible. And I would not want to help him out. Right. <laughs> but my job depends on me being pleasant and polite. So I would have to ride that line. So th- these were all of my, oh my thoughts God, about like, really how, does, how do I behave? Yeah. <laughs> and so when they asked me questions, one of my auditions was an actual audition scene. So I started with that. And that was easy because there's material there, yeah. you know? And what I didn't do was try to show off in the material or add funny lines. I just did the material. And then they sat me down and they did an interview, a mock interview. And the first question was, do you like being a receptionist? (laughs) And the way I played it was to say nothing for a very long time, to think about it, and decide that I would tell the truth, but that's all. So I just said, no.
0: And then I did not elaborate. Right.
1: And they loved it. They loved it. They started laughing really hard. Yeah, exactly. Right. But just very politely say no. Right. But not explain why. And I just, my take on Pam was that it was more interesting to watch her not say everything she wanted to say than to hear her say oh God, everything. It's so
0: brilliant. it's so funny. So, and it's so just true. watching me
1: decide not to say everything I wanted about Michael, but instead then <laughs> say something like very neutral, you know, like right. that is like the essence of her to me. Yep. And so that was my take on her in the audition and they really loved it. And And I did feel like when I left, I felt like I'd really nailed it. And that felt like and still feels like the role – that, when I was back in St. Louis, mm-hmm. and I'm like, "I don't know what else I could ever be. I am an actor, I'm an actor. Yeah. It feels like I was being propelled toward that thing, like that does feel like a role that was for me, oh, yeah, that was mine, 100%. and it was meant for me yep. and um, and I don't feel that way about every acting role. um I don't feel like I'm the only person who can play it, or I'm the best person." I feel like I can do an adequate job with a role. Right. Um, but so could someone else. Right. So, um, but from time to time, I feel a real ownership over a oh, part. No doubt. And that's one of them. I have more questions for you, but before we
0: go on, I just want to take a quick second and thank one of our other sponsors. Thanks to Allbirds for supporting our podcast. Allbirds makes comfy shoes like it's wool loungers made from New Zealand merino wool and sold direct online. Allbirds is on a mission to prove that comfort, style, and sustainability can all coexist in one pair of shoes. They are all well-designed, no unnecessary logos, just a simple, comfortable shoe design with super fine wool that is soft and wicks away moisture. They're also super versatile, whether for work or play, in the office or out on the town, Allbirds can match your style with a wide selection of classic and limited edition color shoes and laces. Shoe styles available for men, women, and kids. So these Allbirds shoes are so cute, so cozy. I got the women's wool loungers in Tuke Dusk. They're like a soft pink color, and they're so comfortable. You feel like you're walking in like slippers, except that you can wear them in the house and you can wear them out of the house all Birds shoes prove that comfort style and sustainability don't have to be mutually exclusive go to allbirds.com and find your pair of soft cozy comfort shoes made from sheep that's allbirds.com and find a pair of wool loungers right for you so when you got the part did you have any inkling of how big this was going to be
1: no, okay. no, because nobody was behind it. Mm-hmm. Critics, before they even saw it, were saying we'd never be as good as the British show. Mm-hmm. Um, fans of the British show did not, were not rooting for us. Yep. They were skeptical. So even the network, they only ordered six episodes for the first wow. season. That's a ridiculously low. Yeah. Yeah, that's almost like that we didn't get picked up. Right. Well, you know, yeah, um, you generally nice. get, yeah. yeah, you generally get 12 episodes. Right. So the fact that we only got six, that was like, You know, they were going to give us a chance, but to cost as little as possible. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then for years, for the first, you know, couple years, we would air and then we would call this phone number that would tell you the overnight ratings. Oh, my God. Wow. We knew what number we had to hit in order to not get canceled, like right then and there. Wow, that's crazy. And I mean, I just remember sitting on speakerphone in the conference room just huddled around the phone, all of us listening and Phyllis I feel like my memory is that Phyllis would always hold the phone and <laughs> they would say, You got a 1.4 and we would be like, We got a 1.4 Because if we'd gotten a 1.2, we were off oh the air. God. So it was just everything, you know, and then some weeks, you know, maybe the next week we'd have a 1.3 and we'd be like, oh my God, a one why did we go down a tenth oh. of a point? But at the same time we knew what we were doing was really great and special. So we knew we had something special. We just didn't know if anyone was going to watch it or if anyone was ever going to care. Because you can make special things. I mean, you know, and there were shows that came before us that were special, like Freaks and Geeks. Oh, right. That, you know, didn't get nine seasons. Or Arrested Development, even. Which Arrested Development. I think we thought we were going to be... Freaks and Geeks, Mm -hmm. that we were going to have 12 episodes of something that was really special, but that we weren't going to be able to sustain with viewers.
0: So eventually that faded away and it became this like blockbuster go-to NBC lineup, like the thing everyone was talking about. And that, I imagine, really changed your life. Like you became a big
1: rock star celebrity. So what was that like to deal with that? Well, you think you're going to like that. I think everybody thinks that you want to be a celebrity. Right. <laughs> I thought I would want to be a celebrity. It sounded great. Sounds nice. Yeah. It turns out I didn't like it. And people don't like it when you don't like it. Mm. So um, because everybody thinks it's so great. so And when I say people, I mean like my family at home. Not maybe my immediate family because they were also getting some of it. They were getting people randomly coming to their house or calling them on the phone or finding them in the phone book. Like, how do you go get milk? Well, I'll tell you what. I can get milk now. But (laughs) at the height of the office, getting milk was very difficult. It was difficult in this sense. Do you know what you don't do when you're at a grocery store? Leave yourself tons of time to luxuriate. Well what happens when every aisle you're being stopped and people want to chit chat with you and you're thinking, Oh my God, I'm going to be late, but I need the milk. Do I, do I ditch and do I leave? Do I, but I need the milk. But if I don't get out of here in the next three minutes and the lines, so it created all this like tension and stress because I would think I need to build in an extra 20 minutes. Same any, with anything. And then like, did you feel like um, you have
0: to be nice to everybody? Because if you're not nice, it's like that's so exhausting. But also I'm
1: genuinely grateful and I'm, Ugh. you know, tickled that people are excited right. and want to tell me stories. But it starts to feel like there's just very little room to be your nuanced, authentic self. Yeah, hard. And a particular expectation because I'm playing this. Girl, this beloved girl right. who is seems like she's everyone's friend. Yeah. You know, Rain Wilson has it really easy <laughs> because right. if you run into Rain Wilson, and I've seen it happen many times, right. people will say, "Rain, oh man, Dwight, can I get a picture with you?" He'll be like, "No, go away." He stays and in people character. Are like, oh.
2: that's hilarious. Oh my <laughs> god,
1: delighted. Right. They're like, "Oh, he's so Dwighted <laughs> me," you know. And he so he can just be like, "No." Um, but I can't do that. I can't say no, No. because then I'm like, it's like telling someone about Santa Claus. Like you can't, you have to live up to the expectation. At least I feel that way. That's a lot. But there are times when it just really isn't, you know, I, I flew home for my grandmother's funeral and I had to go from the airport to the funeral and I had been crying and someone stopped me in the airport and asked for a photograph. And I said, I'm sorry. No, it's not a good day. And I could tell when they walked away that they were doing a, who does she think she is? Hmm. She's not. I mean, come on. She couldn't take a picture with me. But I didn't feel like I needed to, in that moment of intense vulnerability, explain why I couldn't take a picture. And I also didn't want to take a picture because it was like, I I deserved to have that. But I had to then live with the idea that there's a person out in the world who thinks I'm a total bitch because I wouldn't take a picture with them yeah. in the airport. And I didn't explain why. Yeah.
0: It's really hard to, to sit with the fact that not everyone's going to like you, especially when so many millions and millions of people now have that expectation that they'll get to like have that little piece, that little moment. And it's, that's a,
1: it's a burden in a way, even though it's an, well, it is hard. Nobody wants to think that there's someone who doesn't like them. Yeah. No, right? really, Pam awful. has a whole thing about that. She doesn't even like it that ISIS doesn't like her, right? <laughs> is that one of her right. lines? <laughs> uh, and so, you know, she, you, I think you don't, nobody likes that feeling, but one of the things that's weird about it is that they did like me. And then when they met me, they stopped liking me. Yep. So that's like even worse yep. cuz you're thinking, "Oh, if only we'd never met, you'd still think I'm cool." Yeah.
0: And none of that is your job. Like it's like people have to understand that. And it's hard though. It's hard when you you're you're genuinely grateful for what you have and you truly do care about people, and at the same time you have to Put up a boundary. That's the flip side of it that not everybody ever knows about because they're not as famous as you. But I wanna go back to because in your book you talk so much about like things that really are so helpful to actors specifically. And one of the things you, you talk about is like how to persevere and 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 I wanna talk to you about that because I know for us um in this podcast, we get so many emails from people who say like you know, I've been doing this, I've been working at it and and I've been, you know, persistent. But at what point, like, when do you know if you're supposed to like give up or keep going? Like sometimes I feel like it's cruel when people are like, yeah, you should keep going. And it's like, do you really think this person has what it takes? Or how can you have the self-awareness even gauge? Do you keep going
1: or do you stop? I mean, that's that's a question that actors ask themselves all the time. I mean, I think you have to be realistic and I think you have to ask yourself, um, when I saw a tape of myself in that job, was I good? You know if you're good or not. You can watch and see. And if you weren't, is there something you can learn from it? And then the next thing you do, did you get better? Right. Like you need to be good at self-assessment. And if you see yourself improving and you think you're better and you're getting feedback from time to time through a callback or through a small job, if the world seems to want it from you, then keep going. Even if it's going to take a long time and even if there are big droughts in between the milestones um, and even if it's difficult because no successful person became successful because it was super easy right. for them, most likely, right. except for like four annoying people that we have to hear <laughs> about all the time uh-huh. and compare ourselves to and think that we're not good because it was so easy for them. But most of the time, it's not easy. And just because it's not easy doesn't mean that you're on the wrong path. But then here's, I think, the biggest mistake that people make yeah. is that the world starts asking something of them and they don't heed the call. Mm. And in that sense, I think my husband is a great example. He went to a top acting conservatory. He was at the top of his class. Um, he got an agent out of the gate. He moved to Los Angeles and then acting just wasn't working out for him, but he really wanted it and he kind of kept going after it. Yeah. But then what happened after a few years was he did his own version of Lolly Love, which was he and his group of friends got together and they said, we need to make something. And none of them were writers. And my husband said, you know, I actually used to love creative writing in school. I I did a lot of writing in high school, but then decided to be an actor. So he volunteered to write the short film. Mm -hmm. And it was seriously brilliant. It's It's a short film called The Man Who Invented the Moon. You can see it Online, it's incredible, and it blew up at film festivals. And now he's a writer director. He's an independent filmmaker. He came here to be an actor, but that wasn't. Yeah, he was paying
0: attention to what he exactly. He was. Yeah.
1: Yes, and I see that sometimes people are so afraid to go down a different road because it means they have to give up their idea of what they were meant to do. Um. So sometimes, like the dream that gets you somewhere it's meant to get you there for a different dream. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's really- and that's,
0: that's okay. Yeah, that's really important. I feel like I read somewhere that people, we have to stay sort of congruent with this identity that we we attach to ourselves. And it's very scary to upset that apple cart and to have the courage to even ask ourselves, like, is this really who I am? And could I actually be doing something else? Um, And he had the courage to do that. It, it worked out. In your book, you also talk about, like how to deal with rejection. How do you deal with that? How do you deal with that and, and keep going? What's your advice for that?
1: Well, it's interesting. At first, you just cry it out. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So there's that. But I think the more perspective I had, the more I gained perspective on how it all worked, mm-hmm. the more I was able to not take it personally. And that came from producing my own things. And it also – I did this uh, commercial workshop when I first came here because I could never book commercials. I still have never been on a commercial. What a failure, I Jenna. I don't know why know, we're talking to I know. You. It's not for me, uh. I guess. No one wants me to sell anything for them, unfortunately. <laughs> That's so good, um, actually. <laughs> but I took this commercial workshop, and the commercial teacher – she was a casting director. She said, now I'm going to offer something to you guys, and I offer it to every class, and I'm shocked every time that only one or two of you are going to actually follow through, which I think is the biggest mistake you'll make mm-hmm. in your career. And what what it was was that she invited us to sit in on a live casting session behind the desk with her. Crazy. That's awesome. Yeah. And sure enough, me and two other people took her up on it, and the rest of the 25 people did not. Hmm. And it was so eye-opening because I sat behind the desk and everybody who came in, all the actors who came in, they thought I was important. They thought they needed to impress me. They didn't know I was just an an out-of-work actor who'd taken a workshop. So I'm sitting there and we would look at the headshot and you would think, oh my God, I can't wait for this guy to come in. He's perfect. He's everything we want for this commercial. You, you know, because she was walking us through the whole process. And then that person would come in and they wouldn't be exactly what you wanted. And then there would be some other guy whose headshot you'd barely regarded, and he would walk in and just become it. Hmm. And it was really fascinating to me. And what what I used that for, that perspective was, When I'm sitting in a waiting room and I look around the room and I think, oh my God, that girl, she is perfect. She's what I thought of when I read this part. I'm never going to get it because she's here. I would think back and I would remember, oh, that's what you think you want. But I that other guy, nobody thought he was going to get the part and he got it. But then the other thing I observed that day was the number of talented people who came in who simply weren't right. Hmm. And it wasn't that they weren't good. Right. They just weren't right. Yep. And so I carried that with me too through my rejection. I would think it's just that for whatever reason, because I watched it happen in a room. Right. And I would think to myself, God, you should go out in the waiting room and tell him how good he is. Aww, you should tell him, so don't give up. Aw. I'm sorry you're not going to get the role. You're really great. It's just this, <laughs> you know? Yep. So perspective helped me deal with rejection and... Crying helps. Yeah, you know, crying. sort of cry. Yeah, yeah. You have good friends who like tell you everything's gonna yeah, be okay. You're the
0: best. All right, well this conversation has been amazing so far. I just have to stop real fast and thank another of our sponsors. We'll be right back. Thanks to House Call Pro for supporting our podcast. So let me tell you about House Call Pro. So I know so many friends of mine who They have a service-based business, and it's so hard for them to do the sort of like paperwork part, invoicing, and sometimes they're realizing that they're losing money because they don't have that stuff dialed in. Housecall Pro is designed for any service business. It's an easy-to-use app that organizes your business and saves you time, so you have more freedom to do the things that you love. Voted the number one software to run your business on the go, here's what Housecall Pro can do for you. Scheduling, dispatching, online booking, payment processing. If you're ready to get your service business organized and streamlined with your customers, go to housecallpro.com dreamjob and tell them don't keep your day job sent you and they'll waive your $99 activation fee. That's housecallpro.com dreamjob. Thanks to Third Love for supporting our podcast. When it comes to bra shopping, it's all about finding the right fit for you. And there's only one lingerie brand that offers bras in sizes AA through G and half cup sizes. It's Third Love. Third Love uses thousands of real women's measurements and super smoothing memory foam to create bras that fit better and feel great. So I love Third Love because you go online, you're looking through stuff, and I found like this t shirt bra. And thought it was awesome. Came right to my door. Super comfortable, fit perfectly, easy to order, easy to wear. Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone, so right now they're offering my listeners 15% off your first order. All you have to do is answer a few simple questions from Third Love's Fit Finder Quiz. It just takes 60 seconds, and you can do it all from the comfort of your home, so you'll never have that awkward fitting room experience again. Try a Third Love bra. It's so comfortable you might forget you're wearing it, and if you don't agree, returns and exchanges are always easy and free. So this year, make the change that will change the way you think about bras. Go to thirdlove.com slash dreamjob now to find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your first purchase that's thirdlove.com dream thirdlove.com dream now back to the interview so in your book you also talk about how to find an agent how to get an agent how to keep an agent or a manager how important do you think is that and if that is something that's essential how do you stand out from the crowd and and sort of get the attention of, of somebody who can really help you like that
1: Well, first of all, it's absolutely essential. You have to have an agent in order to get access to professional work. Right. But it's not the first thing you should do when you get to Los Angeles. It's like the fifth thing you should do. Mm -hmm. Because to answer your other question, how do you stand out? You stand out by being great and you stand out by being ready to work. And most people when they first get to LA are not ready to walk onto a television set and have a guest spot role. You simply aren't ready. And so you need... Time to season. You need to go out and do all of the non-union roles, the commercial auditions. You need to figure out how to have your pedigree. And I think that there's a myth that you come out and an agent says, "I'm going to take you, newcomer, and we're going to make you a star." Yeah, make a star, Um, I'm going to get you in the union, and I'm going to get you, you and know, name uh, on this the marquee. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> we know the we know, we know that know. guy. I do know the same guy. We the know same the same, same guy. guy.
0: Yeah. So but the thing is, like when you said that, since I'm not an actor And you said like you said it. I was like, oh, wait a minute, because I I don't think about it. But you're like, you're not ready. You think you are. You're not ready to work on a set. You you have a whole chapter in your book about how things work on a set. What is it that you're referring to that people don't get? People are like, wait, she doesn't know. I was the lead in my senior play. She doesn't get it. I'm really good. I went to NYU. What are you referring to? Is it like knowing where to like you know stand? Is it how to like get mic'd? Is it that you need to be on time, or is it like no? Like there's just. Like a million things you don't know and you think you do, you need to yeah. sit out and be quiet.
1: It's kind of literally everything. You need to learn the lingo. Right. You need to understand the flow of the day. You need to understand your place in the machine mm. because it's a whole machine and very little of it is about you, the actor. Right. And um, yet actors think it's all about them. Of course. And um so of course sweet. everyone always thinks everything's about them. That's what being a human being is. Aww, um sweet. you're right. <laughs> Which is fine. That's it's great. how we it's awesome. Awesome. Um, but no, and it's about just a level of professionalism. I couldn't walk into a boardroom full of lawyers and hold my own. Even if I'd gone to law school, do you know what I'm saying? Like you can't just, if you're a lawyer and you go to law school, the first thing you do out of law school is not go into court and argue (laughs) a case in front of a judge. Right. There's many things that have to happen until you know how to do that effectively. exactly. And so that's what I mean by when you get here, you're not ready to do that yet. And don't waste your time looking for an agent until you're ready. Right. You need to spend probably one to three years wow. doing web series and student films and non-union things and pounding the pavement and building a reel for yourself. And then you look for an agent. Right. Got to, you have to get yourself in the union. You have to get yourself some nice headshots. Because if you get an agent and you don't have those things, you realize that that agent has a bunch of clients that does have those things. Mm -hmm. And so when they get sent to a casting director, the casting director is looking at the resume, they're looking at the materials and they're saying, well, I, why would I call in this person who's done nothing when I can call in this person who has done three web series and is in SAG? I'm going to call that person in. If you want a good chance of doing well, you have to do it for yourself at first. So Everything you're saying is is so helpful and it's
0: so inspiring and people also just know you and so they love you, they love your work, they love everything that you've been able to accomplish and they're thinking, "Oh my god, Jenna believes in me and if I can have an ounce of her success, I would just be so over the moon." Where do they go first? What's the first thing? I know you have a whole chapter on getting started. Like if somebody's going to turn off this podcast and be like, "Okay, I want to start. I want to like roll up my sleeves, what do you think is that thing to do to get started?
1: Well, if they have if they don't have my book, they should buy my book yes. because it will literally lay it out for them. Right. <laughs> but um if they don't have training, the first thing they should do is get in a class mm-hmm. and get training. Mm-hmm. And if they do have training and and they're ready in that sense, they need to drive to Los Angeles or New York yeah. and set up shop because if you're serious about it, you need to get in a city that doesn't put a ceiling on your opportunities. Yeah. And a, ju- a career in acting is dependent on the relationships that you make with casting directors. Mm-hmm. And you can't make those relationships outside of the cities in which those casting yeah, directors sense. live. And by when I say relationships, I don't mean met at a party or networked, I mean, <laughs> consistently going into their offices and showing them that you're a good actor. I saw Jenna Fisher buying milk. Doesn't that mean we're best friends? Cause she, <laughs> she talked to me. Um, well, I'm saying that because I thought that's what I was supposed to do when I got here. Right. I thought that there were some parties and then someone would put me in a movie from that. Yeah, and it's all just so glamorous. You know, I thought that was part, I thought that was networking. And you always hear, Oh, it's who you know. Right. Well, it is who you know. I knew Allison Jones and that's who cast the office. But the reason I knew Allison Jones was because I'd been auditioning for her for five wow. years. That's how I knew her. Right. And she knew me. Right. Not because I met her at someone's birthday yes. and we exchanged cards and then I, like, bothered her for five yeah, years. Yeah, that wouldn't be great. You know? Yeah.
0: No. <laughs> um, so I feel like one thing that happens, we get emails from people, notes, and people say things like, you know, I have had this dream for so long, and I have been told that I'm so good at this particular thing. But I just feel like there's already so many people out out there doing it. Like, why should I bother? Like, I'll never find my tribe. Like, it'll never... There's it's overly saturated. Like, what would you say to somebody like that who's feeling pretty unfulfilled and sort of just um, just assuming that it's inevitable that they will live a life of like settling and working at Dunder Mifflin? But like for real, because they feel like their dream is like the seat's already been taken.
1: I would say cut it out and make a decision. I would say you have to stop like the oh, woe is me. You, that There's no place for that in this. Yeah. Um, there's another quote in my book that I've borrowed from someone, which is that um, a person's success is uh, often determined by how long they spend feeling sorry for themselves. Oh, that's good. So you have to literally just cut it out. Just stop it and make a decision and pick a life and point yourself in that direction. But standing in the middle of two lives, like straddling two lives That is the saddest life to me, in my opinion. Deciding one way or the other that it's for you or not for you, there there's no shame in either decision. Hmm. If you say, you know what? It's too painful for me. I don't want to spend my life uncertain about where my next paycheck is going to come or if someone's going to give me a job or if I'm going to be artistically fulfilled. I don't want to have to go on location and shoot something and miss my friend's wedding. I don't want the stress of trying to have a, a normal, stable marriage with children while juggling a, an insane career mm. in the movie business don't do it. That's, I get it. That's okay. There (laughs) is nothing wrong with making that decision. Mm. And I have friends who have made that decision who have said, I, I just, I learned what it is. It's not for me. Mm. And then they go and they live a different life. But the people who I see who are the most tortured are the people who never made a decision. Mm. So they're like kind of living a more conventional life. But they're always wondering if they should have uh, done the other life. So, right. so it's like, just pick one yeah. or go do it. And then two years later, say, that was a colossal mistake. I'm completely miserable. Right. I'm going to go back and figure out something else and yeah. a way I can be satisfied. But Make my biggest piece of advice would be like, you can't oh woe is me yourself your whole yeah. life. Like, that's just that's really smart. It's, like, that's a bummer. Like, be all there. It makes me sad. Yeah.
0: I get it. I really do. And I, I, I know people like that.
1: I mean, definitely get rejected from an audition and like eat a pint of ice cream and a bag of chips and like feel sorry for yourself. Yes. That's totally fine. Right. Like, there are times when you get to do that, right? Just don't do it with your whole life. Yeah. Um, so
0: you're, you're just even more awesome and, delightful than i could have even imagined and i already thought like the world of you um so thank you for being here and i know that you have a show coming out in like a month tell us where tell us where to find you
1: what's going on okay sure so my book is called the actor's life a survival guide Mm -hmm. and um I'm going to be very slowly moving around the country doing book signings and things. And you can find me on Twitter or Instagram. And I'll update people on those kinds of appearances Yay. if you're interested. Uh-huh. I love doing them. I love meeting aspiring actors and people in general. So I, re- yeah. I really like doing these book signings. So and um, it's really – it's just really cool to – meet people and also just encourage people if they have a dream or something like that. I really like it. Cause I had those people in my life and they meant the world to me. So, so it generous. feels like a way I can like give that back, yeah. you know, pay it forward. Yeah. So But yeah, I'm doing a new television series called Splitting Up Together. It's on ABC. It starts March 27th, which is a Tuesday at 9.30. Nice. So there's going to be, I think there's going to be an hour of Roseanne. Oh, I know. It's amazing. Us. I know. And then Blackish. And then Splitting Up Together. And you know, here's the thing. Like when you do a television show on a network, you have to do these big press tours and big press junkets. And all the stars from the shows from that network go to the press junket. So this time, since now I'm on an ABC show and they had the Roseanne revival, I got to meet Lori Metcalf. Oh. I completely geeked out of her <laughs> in the hallway. And um, and by the way, that's another reason why going back to our other conversation about like people stopping me while I'm trying to buy my milk and like all that sort of stuff, like I know what it's like to want to meet somebody oh, that has inspired you and you want to tell them you're like
0: the nicest person in the world you're like (laughs) i i I can't really believe that you just said everything that you said because you're very successful and you wanted to write a book to help people like that I mean, it sort of goes back to La Lolly Love where where it was a documentary about people who like wanted to help other people because I don't understand like honestly, like <laughs> so funny. I don't know if you've heard, but there's
1: more money in TV than in books. And Oh, believe me, because I got zero dollars for writing like my that- book, by the way. It was a labor of love and you know, what happened was I wanted to write this book. I wanted to write a book for aspiring actors and artists. I wanted to write The handbook that I wish someone had handed me when I landed in Los Angeles. So nice. And it's always bothered me that this book didn't exist. It's bothered me for a long time. So then I thought, why am I not writing it? I'll write it. It took me... So long. It took me, I did four years of research where I traveled around to different acting classes. When did you have the time?
0: You have children. You have a hit TV show. Well, I didn't have children at that point, but
1: I, um, you know, in my off time, I would just pop into acting classes and let them ask me any question they wanted. And I would record all the sessions and then I had them all transcribed and I used all of that material. It was great because they would ask me a question and I would give an example of my worst audition But if I were sitting at a computer trying to think of my worst audition, I could have never thought of it. So I just had these great discussions with actors, and then I was able to get all of that down on paper, and then I would draw from it. And then I wrote the book, and then I shopped it around. I shopped around this proposal, and the big book companies, they were not particularly interested in publishing a book about encouraging people to be actors. <laughs> and I was like, but that's what I want to write. And so I found this little publishing house that has been so amazing, this publisher, Ben Bella. And they publish a lot of books that are like, I climbed a mountain and here's yes, what I learned. Yes, yes. And um, right, when I'm like, oh, that's exactly the kind of books I read. I climbed a mountain and here's what yeah. I learned. And that's kind of what my book is. It is. I climbed the mountain of an acting career and here's what I can well, tell you. Well, it's
0: extremely generous that you have <laughs> done all of this. I mean, how? Well, thanks. I mean, yeah. Like if every person was like you, then I think, you know.
1: You're so nice. I, You're the nicest interviewer. This is just like a no, but of you're just you're making me feel so but good But it's so <laughs> obvious.
0: Like I'm just mirroring I'm just being the mirror. Like it's just extremely Aww, kind and you deserve kind. all of it. And I can't wait to well, see your new show. And I'm just I've been hanging on every word and I know that our audience is gonna be like Jenna Fisher, she's gonna help me believe that I can do this. And um that's really kind. Thank you. And uh, we can't wait. We can't wait for what's to come. So everybody go get the book. It's called The Actor's Life. You can get it on Amazon. You can get it where books
1: are sold. Oh, and I read the audiobook. If you want to hear me. Oh my read god. It to you, you can when download you- the audiobook. You really don't have time to get milk. It's just I don't see so you see what I'm no. saying. If you run into me and I'm getting <laughs> milk, forgive me. Please. Forgive me. I had to get home. <laughs>
0: Thank you for being here. Thank
1: you so much. Thanks. I love you, Jenna.
0: You're amazing. I learned so much. That was one of the most fun, inspiring, interesting conversations I've ever had. And you are even more down to earth and lovely than I could have even wished for. Here are some takeaways from what you said. Number one, you can't just want it. You also need training. Number two, in the life of an artist, one moment can change everything, but it doesn't change everything forever. Number three, look for ways to express your creativity on your own. Don't sit around and wait for the opportunity to come. Number four, the first thing you make might be a load of crap, but make it anyway. Done is better than perfect. Number five, practice self-assessment. Look at your work and ask, is this good? If not, how can I make it better? Number six, if the world seems to want it from you, then keep going. Number seven, just because it's not easy, it doesn't mean you're going on the wrong path. Number eight, sometimes your initial dream is meant to lead you towards a different dream, and that's okay. Number nine, stand out by being great and ready to work. Number 10, know the lingo, understand your place in the machine, and have a high level of professionalism. Number 11, a person's success is often determined by how long they spent feeling sorry for themselves. So stop saying, woe is me, pick yourself up, and start climbing that mountain. You guys, you've got something that the world needs, and I know that, and that's why I'm here showing up week after week doing this podcast. I love you. I'm rooting for you. If this episode was inspiring, please take a second and share it with somebody else. It means the world to us. Share it, post about it on your Instagram, tag me in it, and then I'll, I'll DM you and give you a shout out. Um, if you haven't left us an iTunes review, it really, really helps us when you do that. There's something with the iTunes algorithm and it helps us move up the chart. So go ahead and leave us an iTunes review. If you want to be notified for my course when it comes out or this free challenge I'm about to do, which I'll tell you more about next week, you can just sign up at my website, donkeyfruidayjob.com and you will be in the know. Um, my sister, Barbara Heller, I'll be posting that video of her on Instagram so you guys can see how talented she is. Come check it out. Remember, you are enough and it is so incredibly sexy and inspiring when you are unabashedly yourself. Everything you are, all the scars and all, it is awesome. And the world truly needs more people who have the courage to show up just as they are. Hope you guys have an awesome week. I'll leave you with another song that I wrote and I'll talk to you soon. The podcast is a production of Authentic. For more info on advertising in this show, visit AuthenticShows.com.